All right, well, thanks for joining us for our fourth and final week in a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Emotion Commotion. And uh, throughout the series, it's all about uh, how to deal with how we feel. We've, throughout the series, we've been saying that we are created with a whole gamut of emotions, and, and we are made in God's image in that way. These are emotions, many of them, that God feels and God expresses and God has given to us. And so we've been talking about how is it that we can live and, and fully express and fully experience the emotions that God has given to us without going to the extreme and letting it wreck our lives. Like we've talked about anger, we've talked about love, we've talked about all anxiety, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of ways, right, in which some of these things, in fact, most of these things are good emotions. We talked about last week, anger can even be a good and helpful and healthy emotion. We can be angry and yet not sin, right? There's all these kinds of things. But so often the way we see it expressed is to the extreme where all of a sudden it does damage to our lives, it does damage to our relationships, and really wreaks havoc uh, on so much of our world today. And so we've been talking about how can we how can we live in this sweet spot, right, that God created us to live in and to experience these emotions in a healthy, balanced, even boundary sort of way. Today, uh, I want to wrap up the series by talking about discouragement and despair. I think most of us uh, are pretty familiar with these kinds of emotions, right? Discouragement is literally lacking courage or lacking hope or lacking confidence. Discourage, right? Discourage. It's simply the desire to give up, to lose hope, or to throw in the towel. We're tempted to fall into discouragement anytime that there is a gap between what we expected and what reality ends up being, right? Anytime there's a gap in the middle, we are tempted to step into discouragement or tempted to get sucked into discouragement or despair. It's easy to lose hope there. It's easy for our faith to dwindle. Discouragement is something that, I, in all honesty, I battle with on a pretty regular basis. It's the number one reason why new churches, why church plants fail. You know, that discouragement. Discouragement sets in in the heart of the pastor or in the heart of some of the leaders and some of the core team. And, and they just get to a point where like, it's not worth it, I quit, right? They just get discouraged and they, they decide they can't go on it. So churches close up their doors. You think there's ever a gap between the dream, between the expectation and reality in church life? Huh? Okay, you're, you're not participating with me. You think there's ever a gap? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, all the time. There's a gap that exists oftentimes. Let me give some examples. When I see somebody that's recently put their faith in Christ and they are starting to come alive, you're starting to see some transformation happen and there's freedom that's coming to their soul and all of a sudden something happens and they just give up and they walk out on Christ. It's discouraging for me. I mean, it just knocks the wind clean out of me. Anytime there's a... You know, anytime when, when I am pushing and pushing and I'm feeling, I'm feeling exhausted myself from pushing stuff forward and there are people on the sidelines waiting to, uh, to criticize anything that I'm doing and stuff like that, that's discouraging, isn't it? It's discouraging. When uh, church growth isn't as quick as I think it should be or if it's been a while since I've personally been able to lead somebody to Christ, if there's, when there's times that I've invested in others or, and poured myself into other people and uh, maybe other leaders and tried to help them grow up or help them experience new life in Christ or help them grow up uh, in, in their serving or in one way or another and things don't work out the way I expect, you know, I'm tempted to be discouraged. <coughs> Discouragement is something I wrestle with on a pretty regular basis. 
Now, I often don't lose the battle completely, but I'll get, I'll get sucked under for a little while. I'll wrestle with it, and I'll feel the weight of discouragement. How about you? Anybody here ever wrestle with discouragement? Anybody here ever feel discouraged about church stuff? I mean, we have tons of people around here that pour themselves out for others and for the church and for the cause of Christ. And I'm sure there could be moments for you where you feel discouraged. You, feel, you just wonder, is it worth it? You just feel like throwing in the towel. And you know what? So many of the people around me, they sleep in. They're, not, they're just living for themselves. It'd be so much easier to just walk that way. Some of us, I think, maybe feel discouraged at work, and you are, you're sitting there, you are working your tail off, and you're watching the person next to you, to your right and to your left, get promoted or get the raise, and you think, what about me? I've been working like crazy, and seemingly nobody notices, seemingly nobody cares, and you're just discouraged. You're tempted to throw in the towel just to give up. Or maybe it's a relationship kind of deal. Maybe you saw, you know, the vision you had in your mind was way different. Maybe you expected that, uh, that you'd be married by now, by this point in your life, and you're not. And there's no prospects on the horizon. Maybe you thought you'd be walking down that road, and you're like, I got nothing, and you're discouraged. You're, you're tempted to despair. You're like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And you just feel like giving up. Or maybe you are married. And that's discouraging at times, isn't it? <laughs> like maybe the expectation of what you thought marriage was going to be like and the reality of what, no elbowing, I see that happening. Right? The reality of what you're experiencing are very different. And you are, you're discouraged. You're like, is this what I signed up for? Is this it? Is this, is this, it's a lot of work. It's not nearly as magical as what all the, all the songs and Disney movies make it out to be, right? Like what, what is going on? Maybe there's discouragement there. If you experience discouragement financially and, and you've been slugging it out and you're like, you know what? I'm never getting out of this tornado of debt that we are in. I've been working and working and working and I can't seem to break free no matter how hard I try. And you are discouraged. You feel like just throwing in the towel. It'd be so much easier to just go charge it up, right? To just go get whatever you want the way of so much of the rest of the world, Western world anyway, operates. Tempted to give in. Maybe it's a school thing for you. Maybe you're taking classes that you hate. Maybe you're in a major that just doesn't feel like it fits you. Maybe you have a professor that you secretly dream bad things will happen to. <laughs> because you just keep bunny heads and for whatever reason there. Maybe you're working your tail off and you just can't get the grades you think you deserve. There's a gap that exists and you are tempted to feel discouraged. You know, all of us, all of us wrestle with this beast, with this thing called discouragement in one way or another. Even the most successful people, even the most spiritually mature people face disappointment often and will wrestle with discouragement. And so this morning, I want us to dig into this topic of discouragement a little bit. I want us to learn some lessons so that we are not swept away by it, right? So that we are not, uh, so that we are not consumed by it, so that we don't quit on the things that we should not. We don't throw in the towel when it's so tempting to are the things that matter most. My hope is that you and I can learn to honestly face our problems and to honestly face even the expectations gaps in our lives without giving up, without losing hope, without losing courage, but instead that we can learn to stand in it and respond in ways that really bring us to life and lead us 
keep us on that right path. Fair enough? So that's kind of where we're going today. We're going to learn all about this uh, from a passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to that. If you don't, if you've got your phones, you can open it up to the Night Church app or version. Uh, either one. They've got no, we've got notes in there and, and scriptures and all that. And also we'll just kind of walk through it on the screens. So I encourage you, encourage you to walk through this with us. And take some notes today. There's some great stuff in here. I think God's going to speak to you. So jot these things down in your programs. You can take them with you. All right, so we're going to talk about discouragement and depression in the life of a man named Elijah. Right? This guy named Elijah is somebody that has just had his greatest victory ever, probably on Mount Carmel. Some of you may remember the story. The king of, of, of this day, the king of the land of this day, had introduced a false god named Baal to the people. And many of God's people were turning away from the one true God and instead were worshiping and seeking and going to this false god named, ba named Baal. Excuse me, not Baal, that's a different one. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And so Elijah the prophet, sort of the main character of this story today, steps into a, sort of a cosmic showdown of sorts. Prompted by God, he calls the, all the people of the land and the 400 prophets of Baal to sort of a winner-takes-all kind of scenario, right? They all come up to the top of this mountain, uh, and he invites the prophets of Baal to set up a, an altar and to, to ha have a sacrifice there and all this kind of stuff. And then he sets up an altar and a sacrifice to the one true God. And he says, here's what's going to happen, right? We're, this is, it all comes down to this, right? We're going we're gonna to each build the sacrifice or put wood there for the, for the offering. We're going to do the whole she shebang. But nobody's going to light a match. Nobody's going to do a thing. Instead, we're going to step back and we'll each have an opportunity to pray. And we will pray, and you know, you can pray, the 450 prophets of Baal, you guys pray to your God, ask him to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice on this altar. And if he answers, then he's the one true God. But then I'm going to pray to the living God, to the one true God. I'm going to pray, and if he answers by fire, whoever wins, whichever God answers by fire, he's the one true God. The other one is a fraud. And the other one, the prophets that follow that God, they're all going to die. So, like, gulp, can you imagine, by the way, being a part of this? <laughs> so, I mean, this, this is the reality that he steps into, right? He's, he's like, man, this is, a, this is literally a winner takes all. He says, okay, you guys can even go first. And so these prophets, these 450, and they start praying. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and nothing's happening. And so they start praying louder, right, louder. And uh, pretty soon they start dancing. They start cutting themselves. They start doing all kinds of things, trying to get their God's attention. They want you you know, send fire from heaven. They pray probably for hours. This whole thing is going on until they finally fall down in utter exhaustion. Elijah, it's Elijah's turn now. And so Elijah, before he prays, he says, you know, one more thing. Why don't you come and take some water? Why don't you take a whole bunch of water? I want you to, to just pour it all over the sacrifice. I want you to pour it all over the wood. I want you to pour it all over everything. In fact, I'm going to dig a trench around it. You're going to even fill that, the whole trench up with water. Now, why is he doing that? He's, he's kind of showing, right? Like, doing everything you can to, to make it impossible for fire to burn that up. There's no chance that anything, uh, any fire is going to do that. And then he he's kneels down, he prays, and God sends fire from heaven. Like that. Consumes the sacrifice. 
dries up the water, even sucks up the water along the, uh, along the edges. All of it gone in an instant. I mean, it is an, an amazing day, right, for God's people. God has proven himself. He has shown his power. The, all the people of the land have seen and know finally, right, for good, hopefully, right, that there is one true God, and it's this God over here. It's the, it's the real God, right? Not, not this fake God made Baal, but there is one true God in heaven. He's strong. He is powerful. He is present. And he can, he can take care of his business, right? He can take care of business. It was a great day. And so, Elijah, you can imagine, it would be a great moment, wouldn't it? Who wouldn't want to be Elijah over here? I mean, oh, man, it's like the hero of the day. Like, everything's going your way. God showed his glory. He showed his power. Finally, things will be right. The people are turning back to the living God. Their hearts are turning back. Man, this is a great day. But as we'll see, he goes from the highest point probably of his life to the lowest point of his life in a matter of hours. I mean, like that. And there's something that, to be honest, uh, I find encouraging about that because I think that's somehow the way we live. It's a little bit more roller coaster than I would like to admit. We can go from the highest points to the lowest points. And so uh, I want you to pay attention today because if you've ever felt discouraged, if you've ever felt depleted or depressed, this story has a ton to say to you. God has a ton to say to you today. So that's where we're going to pick it up. First uh, Kings 19, starting with verse 1. Says us now. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This winner takes all kind of thing. Now again, just a little bit of background. We're talking about Ahab, who's sort of the the king in the story. He was an evil king. He was totally bad news. In fact, he was the nineteenth consecutive evil king in a row. The scripture tells us that he was more evil in the eyes of God than any of the previous eighteen before him. And now he, towards the end of his reign, he kind of becomes passive. He turns over the practical ruling of his kingdom to his evil wife, who's probably even more evil than him, named Jezebel. He basically says, I don't really want to do this king thing anymore. I'm kind of backing out. So Jezebel steps in and takes over. And that's what we see in verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of those basically dead prophets. She, what she's saying, she's saying, I'm going to kill you, right? You are going down. You're a dead man by this time tomorrow. Verse 3, Elijah at this point was afraid and ran for his life. Let me hit the pause button here for just a second. And just, I want you to think about it. Elijah, during the course of his life, he has seen God do amazing things. He has just, right, just in the few minutes before this, he has just seen God answer, right, <coughs> with fire from heaven, proving that he was powerful, proving that he was present. God had used Elijah a few years before to pray and to pronounce that there was going to be a drought in the land and there was no rain for three and a half years. He had seen God work. He had seen God work again and again and again. During this drought when there is no rain, God provided for him. In fact, God provided for him through ravens dropping food in his lap, basically, right? So he's, he's God is sustaining Elijah day after day after day. When all the water in the land had dried up, God gives him a brook that comes so that he can have water to drink. It's, it's amazing to see. I mean, he had seen miraculous jaw-dropping kinds of provision. 
when the brook eventually dries up, God sends uh, Elijah to a widow's house who has just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, but not enough to feed anybody. She was cooking herself and her son their last meal, and then she was going to die, she thought. But God took that little bit of oil and that little bit of flour and sustained it and multiplied it day after day after day after day so that it was more than enough for the widow, <coughs> her son, and the prophet Elijah. I mean, can, can you kind of see? These, you think these things would be impactful? You think they'd be memorable to you? If God was performing miracles like this day in and day out? Absolutely. Eventually, the widow's son dies. And God uses Elijah to raise him from the dead. You think that might make an impression? Right? The kid's dead, and all of a sudden, boom, he's back to life. You think you might remember that? So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, man, you'd think Elijah's faith would be huge, wouldn't you? You'd think, what could possibly throw him off his game? Well, I'll tell you what. A girl <laughs> says, I'm going to come after you and kill you, and all of a sudden, he tucks tail and runs. And again, I think there's something good about this story because it reminds it makes it more human I think to me because no matter I mean I can, I can be the same way and so can you we have seen and experienced God's work in our lives in profound ways many of us have stories about God reaching down and saving us in unbelievable ways freeing us from all kinds of junk from our past and bringing us to life we have seen him work we've seen him provide we've got stories of answered prayer and on and on and on and yet so easily, we can become discouraged. We can forget about the faithfulness of God, and we can go running for our lives. So let me just look at this. I want you to look at, there's two verses here we're going to look at. And I want you to look at what causes this tremendous man of God, this man of prayer, this man of faith, to lose it and become discouraged and depressed and to go running for his life. And the reason that I'm sharing this and I want us to look at this <coughs> is because I think we can be susceptible to the same things under the same conditions. Verse 3 says this, Elijah was afraid he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom tree, a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than any of my ancestors who were murdered. Interesting. I mean, he just had the biggest victory in his life, and yet he's praying that God would take his life just a few hours, just a little time later. And then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, what I, want, I just want to zero in on a couple of things, five things, actually, on this real quick, um, about how you and I can get discouraged, about how Elijah got to a place where he was so discouraged, where he was so depressed, where he was in so much despair that he was like, take my life, God. I'm done. I quit. I'm throwing in the towel. It's all over for me. Five things. First one, it says, wear yourself out <laughs> completely. If you'll notice over the past few years, I just gave you kind of a snapshot of this. Elijah has been living, he's been pouring himself out. He's been under mass, in this massive spiritual battle, including this time on Mount Carmel, where he was facing off with these 450 prophets of Baal. He'd been praying and pouring out. He, he'd been whatever. At this point in the story, he's afraid, and so he runs for his life. He runs about as far as he could possibly run 
Then he leaves his servant and he runs another day into the desert. Who thinks they could run a day in the desert and still have still have some spring in your step, right? Can you imagine? I mean, a, he runs a, throughout the whole day, the heat of the day in the desert. He gets to the end and he's just exhausted. He drops before God. And I have to say, man, there are some of us in this room that probably feel that way. That feel like we've been running and running and running and running and running. And we are exhausted. And we wonder, why do I feel like I'm empty? Why do I feel like I'm on fumes? Why do I feel discouraged? Why do I feel like throwing in the towel? And the answer is this. is because we have worn ourselves out. We have set no boundaries. All of the energy flow has been outward and outward and outward. We've been given at work and at home and at church and everywhere else. And there's... And yet we haven't really taken care of our own souls. And we're exhausted and we just feel like dropping. When we're totally exhausted, when we're totally wearing ourselves out, it leads to discouragement. Second one, shut people out. This is fascinating. He runs, I mean, he goes with his servant for part of the journey. And then he even leaves his servant in the dust and says, I'm just going on my own. The rest is, it's just me, right? It's just me. And that is exactly what happens in our lives. I see this pattern cycle over and over and over in people's lives. In the times in our lives when we are feeling most discouraged and in most, most despair, when we need community the most, when we need friends and brothers and sisters the most, you know what we do? We isolate. We run away. We go by ourselves. And that downward spiral just continues. Third. Third thing, we kind of focus on the negative, right? We focus, this is exactly what Elijah does. Uh, this man of God, this man of great faith, verse 4, he, he finally says, you know what, I've, I've had enough. He's like, I quit. I'm ready to, to just lay down my life. Just kill me now, God. I'm no better than that of my ancestors. You know what he's saying? I'm a loser. I quit. I can't get it done. I can't follow you anymore. I'm not good enough. He's just cycling this thing over and over in his head. I'm not good enough. Just like my ancestors were wayward, just like they turned away from, just like they had a tendency to sin and go their own way. That's, that's the truth about me. It's the truth about me. Sort of this self-pity kind of thing start, starting to take over. And it tends to exaggerate, right? I'm never going to be good enough. I'm always going to be stuck at this point in my life. I'm never going to be able to get free. I'm never going to be able to do any better. I'm never going to get that promotion. My kids are never going to come to Christ. I'm never going to you know, be wanted by somebody else. And on and on and on. We start playing this, focusing on this negative, replay it over and over in our minds. All the bad things, none of the good things. You're going to get discouraged, wear yourself out, shut other people out, focus on the negative. The fourth one, just quickly, is to focus on yourself. I thought this was interesting. Verse 4 again, he says, I've had enough. I can't take it. I'm no better than my ancestors. You know which word I keep hearing in there? I, 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 I. It's all about me. Just get self-absorbed. Just only think about you. Don't think about God, for heaven's sakes. Don't think about other people. Think only about yourself. And we do this kind of thing all the time. When we, when we move inward like that, we get focused on ourselves. We are so susceptible to that downward spiral of discouragement. I thought this was interesting. Dr. Carl Menninger, famous psychiatrist, once gave a lecture on mental health and did sort of a Q&A thing afterwards. And somebody said, uh, what would you advise a person to do uh, 
if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on and everybody assumed that they'd say something like, go see a good psychiatrist immediately or something like that, but that's not what he said. To their astonishment, Dr. Menninger replied, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need and help that person. Interesting. Don't focus on yourself. Get involved in the lives of others. Okay, fifth one is this, is to, to basically forget about God, which is exactly what, what we do, I think. I mean, imagine this. You just saw, I mean, in the life of Elijah, we just saw, he just saw supernatural protection. He saw provision, birds feeding him, right, for heaven's sakes. Water from a brook in the middle of a drought, raising a kid from the dead, fire from heaven. One threat comes his way. One, one thing pops open in the expectations gap, and what happens? He's forgotten about God. He's running for his life. He's like, I've been abandoned by God. I've been abandoned by everybody else. I'm totally on my own. In these moments, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling down, we forget about the faithfulness of God. We could be on top of the world one moment, but again, one thing happens, and we forget so again, five, how to get discouraged in five easy steps. Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative. Focus on yourself and forget about God. Now let me just turn the corner uh, for just a minute because all of us at some point have walked this road. We've all struggled with discouragement. We've been drained and depleted and burnt out. We have felt hopeless. So let's read on the story uh, about what God does and what we can do. We find ourselves in these situations because God does not abandon Elijah. He does not abandon you or me. Instead, he brings him out of it. He teaches him. He provides for him. And eventually, he restores this man of God. And he can do it for you and me, too. So this is sort of God's prescription for our discouragement and for our depression. First thing that he says is this. He says, eat and rest. I, I love this, by the way. I love that uh, when God sends this angel to him, I love that uh, God doesn't drop the hammer on him. He doesn't give him a Bible study that he'll never forget. You know, boom! He doesn't say, well, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't feel that way. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, if you, if you would just read your Bible more, if you would just, if you just do this and this and this, he doesn't say that. He says, you know what? He says, come here, come here. Stop. Eat and rest. He goes on to say, for the journey is too much for you. Look at this, uh, verses 5 through 8. It says, he, uh, Elijah, lay down under, the, uh, under this tree, this broom tree, this bush, and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there uh, by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him. He says, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. The journey is too much for you. Don't you love that? But sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to stop. Stop the madness. Stop the hamster wheel, right? And just stop and back up and just rest and let our soul be filled. Let our bodies be filled. Some of us, and I know uh, I'm this way as well, some of us have a propensity and a bias towards action, towards doing, right? Towards just achieving and checking things off the list and moving things forward. And we can be tempted to, 
to buy into sort of the world's philosophy, the world's picture of all this, and say, man, you're, who you are and your value and your worth and everything is based on what you do. It's easy for us to buy into that. It's easy for us to even apply that to God's stuff. Like God's only interested in what I can achieve and what I can do. And so that's why, that's why I think it's so great that the first thing that God says to Elisha is, man, just stop. Just stop and rest. Stop, eat, and drink. For the journey is too much for you. Man, I wonder, anybody here feel like the journey is just too much for them these days? Anybody feel like they're overwhelmed or tired or discouraged? The journey is too much for you. You'll just burn yourself out. But just stop doing and just be, just rest. Friends, if you are feeling depleted or discouraged or depressed, it could be that the journey is just too much for you. It could be that you need to just take some time to stop and rest at a minimum to obey the rhythm of the Sabbath, right? To, to obey. I mean, God, it, it, it's crazy, but it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's probably the one that we uh, break the most and we're comfortable doing. We're like, oh, that applies to others. It doesn't apply to me, right? I could just keep going and going and going and going and going. I don't need to rest, right? This, this is the 21st century. We don't have to, we don't have to do, we don't have time to do that. We got to keep producing. We got to keep doing. We got to keep going. We got to add more and more and more and more and more. God says, you know what, for the sake of your soul, for the sake of your life, would you stop regularly and rest? Now check this out. So uh, Elijah is strengthened by this. This is crazy. Uh, verse 8 says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, I was thinking, that must have been like a high-protein sort of shake or something, right? <laughs> so he ate and drank and ate and drank and traveled for 40 days, right? That was some good sleep. I don't know what that was about. Crazy, but he's all of a sudden, he's strengthened by this with God, and, and God takes him to Mount Horeb, uh, which scholars pretty much would agree. This is where God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. It's where that place that he, Moses met with God face-to-face -face, like a man meets with his friend. Basically, God's saying, eat and rest and go to church, right? Eat, rest, and go and connect with God. It's a picture of rest, but not just rest physically, but rest spiritually as well. And, man, I think sometimes we need to hear this because it, the temptation can be for us to get so busy. We're like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for to read the God's book. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to come to church because I have so much other stuff that, I'm, that, that needs to get done. And God's saying, would you some of that stuff so that you can come and find rest for your soul. Would you come and the journey is too much for you? You've got to stop and rest. So that's the first one, uh, kind of prescription for discouragement. The first one is to, to eat and drink not, and, and to rest, uh, not just uh, physically, but spiritually as well. Second one is uh, God replaces the lies with the truth. Verse 9 says, uh, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now let me just stop for just a second and say, do you think God didn't know what Elijah was doing there? 
<laughs> was kind of like, hmm, my literary he's doing here. Is that, what, is that what God was doing? <coughs> no, God's getting him to verbalize and to voice what's going on in, in his heart and in his soul, right? So God wanted Elijah to sort of give voice to his problems, to verbalize even some of the lies that he had been believing so that God could correct, so that God could do some course corrections and some adjustments in his own soul. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's sort of true, right? True-ish, mostly. They have broken down your altars. That's true. And your and they put your prophets to death with the sword. That's also true. He says, I am the only one left. You know what that is? That is false, right? That's a lie. That's an exaggeration that comes with discouragement. It's false. He's like, I'm the only one that's been doing your work. That's false. I'm the only one who cares. That's false. I'm the only one that can get this done. False. You know, we, we buy into those same kind of lies all the time. Don't we? I've got to do this at work. I'm the only one that can get that done. I've got to do this at home because I'm the only one. And in this moment, God's saying, you know, you're owning a little bit more than you should. I asked you to, to, to show down, you know, to get in the showdown with the prophets of Baal, but I am not asking you to own the whole show. It's not just you versus the world. It's me, God's saying. I am present. I am powerful. And he goes on to say the story. In fact, there are 7,000 others that are still faithful to me. There are 7,000 others doing the work of God. There are 7,000 others still praying, still working, still in this with you. You are not alone. He takes the lie and the exaggeration that happens when we get discouraged and replaces it with this truth. You're saying you are not alone. And not only are there 7,000 others, Elijah, but I am here with you. It's my show. I wonder if some of us need to hear that today as well. I wonder if there's some lies that we have been believing. Things that we've been playing over and over and over in our heads that God is wanting to replace. Things like, my life's never going to get any better. I'm never going to have a rich and a, a blessed and an intimate kind of marriage. I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to be with somebody else. I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm going to be stuck in this dead-end job forever. I've got no real ministry, no real opportunities. I can't make a difference. My wife's never going to become a Christ follower. I'm always going to feel alone or whatever. I wonder how many of these lies we play over and over and over in our heads. And God is saying, man, if you would stop, listen to my truth, and let me replace those lies with the truth. It's one of the steps out of discouragement and back into redemption. 2 Corinthians 10 puts it this way, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asks. Some of us, if we would speak verbally, uh, we might be speaking out a lie like he did. I'm always going to be depressed. It's always going to be this way. And maybe God would say to us, you know, there's 7,000 more. There are tons of people around you who care for you. There are believers who surround you. There's a Holy Spirit that will comfort you, that lives inside of you. Don't believe the lies. Third one is this. God speaks in his still, small voice. 
I mean, it's, it's crazy. You can imagine Elijah has seen God in all of his power. He imagines God as being the God who answers with fire, right? The God who maybe would, would speak in the midst of a hurricane or an earthquake or something. He's seen all these big kinds of things, but it's fascinating. That's not how God speaks in that moment. Listen to this, verse 11. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for God is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. After the earthquake came a fire. Surely this is it, right? <laughs> but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes I think when we are the lowest, God seems to speak the softest. Did you ever notice that? When we are at our low, when we are buried in discouragement, God often speaks softly. It may only just be a word. It may not be much at all. It may not be loud, but it's exactly enough. A gentle whisper, not a booming sign that God is capable of doing or whatever. Just a voice assuring you of his presence, assuring you that he is there, that he can still speak. If you listen closely enough, you may just hear that still small voice, I'm here, I am present, I am with you, you are not alone. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I am enough. Fourth thing is that God restores God restores. To overcome discouragement, God says, eat and rest. Replace the lies with the truth. Listen and I'll speak. And, and then lastly, God restores Elijah and gives him another divine appointment. Verse 15 says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. I love that. Go back the way you came. Through the desert uh, of Damascus. When you get there, anoint anoint uh, Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Je Jehu son of uh, Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of uh, Shaphat from Abel, whatever, to succeed you as prophet. He'll just do that about that. In other words, he's saying go back to doing what prophets do. I mean, it's easy to kind of read right over that and, and kind of miss what he, but I think there's something here. God is restoring business. He's restoring Elijah to what he's made to do. It could be that he, he will speak to you the same way he spoke to Elijah. There is something yet for you to do. You may feel down. You may feel blue. You may feel tired or hopeless. You may be afraid or unsure. You may have lost your confidence. You may not see it right now. But if you are still alive, I still have plans for you. I still have purpose for your life. If you are still here, then God has good plans for you, friends. And he calls to Elijah and says, go back to doing what prophets do. <laughs> you may be like, well, that's fine, but I'm not a prophet. right? Well, well, man, what are you then? Maybe God is calling to you. Maybe you're a mom, and, he, and God stops you and gives you rest and pours into you. Maybe you've been pouring out and out and out and out. Maybe he will replace the lies with the truth. Maybe he will come and speak to you in a still, small voice, and then he will call you back out and say, go back and mom, right? Go back. I'm not done with you. I have good plans for you there. 
What are you? Are you a person who prays? Well, then maybe God will restore you and give you rest, raise you back up and send you back out. Would you go back and pray, man of God or woman of God? Maybe he's given you gifts of serving and he'll raise you back up and restore you and send you back out and say, now go and serve for my name, for my glory, for my purposes. Maybe it's giving. He'll raise you back up and say, go give something. Go back and do what God has called you to do. And watch as he breathes life back into your soul. Go back, oh man of God. Go back, oh woman of God, and do what I have called you to do. I think it's interesting. Check this out. God gave him also a friend for the journey. <laughs> he gave him somebody who believed in him. One friend, a younger one with a name really uh, kind of confusingly close to his own, right? Elijah and Elijah, right? Elijah and Elijah. He gave him a friend and said, okay, you know what? You're not in this alone. He moves him back into community, back into relationship. He says, now you guys together, I'm sending you out together to go back and do what I have called you. You know, I find so much comfort in this story and seeing a man like Elijah, somebody uh, that was on top of the world kind of experience and then also was at the bottom. Because in reality, I think that's a, that's a reflection of me. I think it's maybe a reflection of you. I think it rings true in our lives. And so after some of our greatest moments, after some of our greatest victories, sometimes we can go home and think, oh, I just can't go on. I am exhausted. I can't do this another day. I'm so drained. I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. I don't know if I could take another round, uh, you know, spin around the hamster wheel one more time. And in those moments, I wonder if God is speaking to us and saying, would you stop and rest? Would you, would you rest physically? Would you rest, find rest in your soul? Would you draw close to me? I wonder if, if the living God is speaking to us, saying, man, uh, I want to replace the truth that you're believing, that it all depends on you, that the weight of the world rests on your shoulders. I want, to, I want to throw that off. I want to free you from that and replace it with my truth and my perspective. That God says, where I'm on the throne, where this is my world, where my kingdom will come, my will will be done. Jesus right invites us into a yoke that is easy and a burden is light. <coughs> so I want to replace your lies with the truth. I want to set you free from that stuff. I wonder if God is speaking today saying, shh, quit all the business, all the frantic activity going on in the brain and your heart. Be still and listen as I speak to you by my spirit, as I remind you as I remind you that I am more than enough for you. And then fourthly, I wonder if some of us even this week will hear him restoring us and sending us back out to live and to serve 